Yes. Not just once in a while. You know, we said that praise him, praise him, number 37. Raise your hand if you know the one right after, number 38. attention that's good but beside that how many of you know this 38 besides Mark Martian it was a long but you know this one if I know it I'm pretty sure you know it you know this oh it's a good one it is a good one if I finish early you don't think so If I finish early. Well, you can play. Miss Libby, you don't know 38? She can play. I don't know Well, let's just see. Why would I be interested in song number 38? not a test. You're not going to get called down. Somebody? Psalm 38. Yes! We're going to look at Psalm 38. Psalm 38. You know, it's, it's kind of hard for me to surprise you because we've done one Psalm, one Sunday, one Psalm, one Sunday, with the exception of communion or baptism. We've been doing that for a while, and I haven't and the last one we did was Psalm 37. So the next one in anybody's mathematical system I know anything about would be Psalm 38. It's not as long as 37. It's 22 verses. I'm just curious. Other than my wife, I know, I know your secrets. Some of them anyway. How many of you read ahead? this week. <laughs> was Psalm 38 whoo, what, what a happy song. Actually, no it isn't. You might just feel drained if you take this seriously. And you should take it seriously. You see, the Psalms touches all over the board. Some of them just happy, happy, happy. Like, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That gets you up, doesn't it? That's exciting. And then some of them are historical. Some of them are devotional. And some of them just get you. There's an expression used in literature when you're between the sword and the wall. You're in a tight. And Psalm 38 is one of those. What do you do when you just feel like things have dumped on you? When, when you're overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Brother Josh, ever been overwhelmed? It must be because you're human. 
I've been on one. Sometimes uh, things that might be a piece of cake for you would overwhelm me. And then other things might overwhelm you and it'd be a piece of cake for somebody else. David was many times overwhelmed. In fact, it got to him. Not just in his head, but in psychology class they use the term psychosomatic. You can be so taken with a thing, your blood pressure goes up. Your breathing is hard. You can't eat. You can't sleep. Gets a hold of you. This is one of those psalms, if you read this. If you let circumstances pound you into the ground, I know why some people commit suicide. They say, I just can't live with this. I want you as a child of God, though, we have the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes we get in a tight. Sometimes we feel like we don't have a friend in the world. A wise man said to me, and others have repeated it, for this we have Jesus. Let's read these 22 verses. and There's a little play on words in this psalm, but we'll come out when we open the next book on the song. Let's just read. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. We read in the book of Numbers, be sure your sin will find you out. It will. For my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. It's my own fault. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. Not exactly a happy tune, is it? I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope that will hear, O Lord, 
Lord my God. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively. And I'm imaginary, folks. This is the real deal. My enemies are lively and they are strong. And they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries. Because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me. O Lord, my salvation. It grabs my attention. I hope it grabs yours. Sometimes you get in a real hard time. There was a song, I think it came out of the 50s, Put on a Happy Face. As if it's wrong to ever be anything but a happy green. An argument from Solomon on that one. In Ecclesiastes he says it's better to go with a house of mourning than a house of laughter. It's better to be con contemplative. As some would say contemplative. We should be aware. There are some things you must be serious about. Now, I like a joke, and I like to tell a joke as much as the next person, but there's a time for laughter and a time not for laughter. To be grave. It doesn't mean you're always pickle-faced or whatever, but it means that you can appreciate it. Paul says to rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. You know, when you deal with people, maybe this person you talk to, hey, I got some good news, and you can rejoice with them. The next person got some sad news. I hope the rejoicing you had with the last person doesn't bleed over and say, you have nothing to be upset about because Joe over here just got this promotion or something like that. No, you feel for people. You can be there for them. Sometimes it's a lot easier said than done. So, my title for this song, I take it from the 10th verse. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. I am at the end of my rope, folks. The bridge is out. I've nowhere else to go. I am in a tight. I am, like the man said, between the sword and the wall. You see, life is not one of stoicism or indifference. It is truly lived, and sometimes you might say you can become livid about it. I want you to know that there's an excitement. There's an adventure to living the Christian life. 
If your Christianity is ho-hum, same old, same old, you need to read this book. You need to put yourself in the sandals of some of these characters in the Bible. What did Paul go through? You read the catalog of experiences he had. He didn't spend his time in an office shuffling papers. No, he had some pretty rugged times. And yet, what did he tell the Philippians? For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Now we're talking about David. Go back a little bit to 1 Samuel chapter 22. Even though he was the Lord's anointed, even though he was loved and respected by so many, he had a king who wanted him dead. And he didn't know what he was going to do. And he realizes that he's being hunted like a dog. In fact, uh, well, in this 22nd of 1st Samuel, look at verse 3. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab. That's not Israel. That's Moab. And that'd be like running off to Canada to get some help or worse. And he said to the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. You ever been there? I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I care about my folks. And so, can I just leave my folks with you for a while till the Lord shows me what He's going to do? Because the Lord isn't pleased always to show His hand and let us know. That might have something to do with our need to learn to rely upon Him. You know, when the Lord told Moses He was going to feed them this bread from heaven, He told Moses to tell the people each day go out and gather. How much did they gather? You know, that's what you need for your house for that day. Now, some people got greedy. Why should I just get up early and go out one day? Well, instead of doing that every day, I'll go out and get maybe two or three days' work. <laughs> and how did that work out? You remember? The part they didn't eat the first day. Worms. You don't want to eat that stuff. Gone bad. So, you can't absolutely know and be fully prepared for all <coughs> possibilities. And yet Moses also told the people on the day before the Sabbath go out and gather how much? Two days worth. That's right. Two days worth. Why? Because they weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Now I'm sure there's some people say. Look, I know how it works. One day, you get a day's worth. We don't have refrigeration. We don't have any way to preserve it. So I'm sure it'll be out there on the Sabbath too. They learned the hard way. Because they went out the next day, Sabbath day, and ain't no food out there. God makes quick students, doesn't he? 
And interestingly, Paul told one group, man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That's called motivation right there, now, isn't it? Now there's an expression that we read already in this song. And well, I won't take the time to hunt it up, but Mr. Spurgeon in his Treasury of David, he uses this term about disquietude. When it says, my heart panteth, think of your heart. You're, doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo. You are exhausted. You're gasping for breath. You've got all this stuff coming. You know, we have all kinds of adventure movies going on. And the hero, he's got this calamity and this enemy, all this stuff coming on his head. He's probably not, well, I'm taking all in stride. No, I am just a step. At one time, David says, I'm but a step from death. He knew it was for real. Mr. Spurgeon said, panting may be understood as a disquietude, which distress of heart, that's the term I was looking for, but can't find it just now. Oh, it's verse 8. I roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. He called panting a disquietude which distress of heart engenders when we know not what to do. By the way, didn't even go to college. He could write a sentence like that. I've been reading about John Bunyan, a guy who barely, barely got a minimal education. And yet when the great John Owen would get up to him, this man, he had government position, he had university position, and somebody asked him, John, you have all these positions and you have all these people to listen. And this tinker in this little town of Bedford, you go to hear him preach. And he says, I'd give up all my learning if I could preach like John Bunyan. John Bunyan had a, a gift from the Lord and he used it to the glory of God. May we all be as John Bunyan. I have two main thoughts I want to bring out here. First of all, this idea of the panting of the heart brings to my mind the desperation that we sense when we consider our circumstances. Like the man said, a guy can get killed. You're in a tight. And look at David. What's, what's come upon him? He brought a lot upon himself. We read already in several verses here, and we've read before about how David realized that uh, if I don't have the Lord as my help, like the man said, I am toast. He brings it on himself. As he said back in the 32nd Psalm in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Now not only had he dug a hole for himself. But there were enemies licking their lips. Enemies scheming against him. And I want you to know if you're a child of God. If you're doing it right. You've got some enemies. 
you've got a target on your back if you're living for the Lord. Now, if you're like Abraham, yeah, you're going to have enemies, but you have the Lord. If you're like Lot, you don't have any enemies because you can just kind of schmooze. You can just kind of blend in with the crowd. Now, the deal with Lot was, too little, too late, he said something, and he found out just how he would stick out like a sore thumb. They didn't respect him. They said, when we get through with this, we're going to come back and we're do worse to you. So much for trying to get along. So he'd been his own worst enemy. And he had enemies working against him. But did you notice, <coughs> even his friends were no comfort to him? Verse 11, my lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore and my kinsmen stand afar off. Hey, I don't have too close to you. I don't have too much to do. I can't be friends with you, Mr. David. But you know what he feared most? It wasn't calamity. It wasn't enemies. It wasn't faithful friends. It was the Lord's displeasure. That's where we ought to be. I might have no friend in this world. I might be a fugitive and a vagabond in the eyes of every head of state. The authorities might be gunning for me, but if the Lord is for me. But if I had a notion that God is just going to clobber me and there's nothing I can do. There's nowhere I can go. There's no one I can approach for any help. Because those first two verses, he's not talking about the enemies. He's not talking about false friends. He's talking about the Lord shooting arrows at him. Remember that? O Lord, rebuke me not in my wrath, neither chasten me in my hot displeasure. Because when the Lord shoots an arrow, it always hits its mark. You know that? For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. You might arm wrestle with somebody, and they might put you down quick, or you might put them down quick. But when the Lord is in the picture, you're going to know You've been zonked. You've been clobbered. You have been brought up short. The Lord's going to come out second. I ran a race once and didn't do so well. And somebody said, well, what's that do for your ego? Well, I know what it is like to come in second in a two-man race. You know, you, you take your lumps. But you're not going to come out the champion in a conflict with the Lord. You might try it. You'll learn. We probably all learned or are in the process of learning yeah. that. And so we've had the first part of verse 10 already, but the second part says, as for the light of my eyes, it also is gone from me. He was broken. He was made very low. You might say low as you can go desperation. That's what we sense when we consider our circumstances. When you have the horizontal look, 
You look around you. This world is no friend of grace. What we need, though, is the vertical. Somebody says, I am surrounded. I forget who said it recently, but they said, I might be surrounded on all sides by the enemy, but I can always look up. You see, we should always have that upward view. Because along with the desperation we may sense, if we only concentrate on the circumstances, there's a desire that we should sense when we consider Christ. His concern and His control. He's got the ability in mind and in strength. His is an everlasting arm. It won't shrivel up. His is a mind. His understanding is infinite. He has the resources. And we are objects of His love. You know, Romans 8.28 comes to play a lot of times, and it ought to be a constant before us. All things work together for good. Oh, it's easy to say that and then go out in the parking lot. You got a flat tire. Wait a minute. Don't you believe all things work together for good? We once uh, had to take a car that had an extra seat in it. And even though they gave it to us for the same price, it's a long ways from Benton, Arkansas to Pensacola, Florida. Had an extra seat in the car. I don't know what the Lord had in store. He had something in store. and We went down with five and came back with six. Just wait and see what the Lord is going to do. Here in this psalm, David knew that God knew his desperation and that God knew his desire as well. And he admitted that he refused to accept reproof. You know, nobody likes to be told they're in the wrong. At least nobody I've ever met, including the guy in the mirror. I don't like it when somebody says, you know, actually, uh, you started wrong, you did wrong, and uh, you ended up wrong. Surprise. We don't like that. Number 13 and 14, I as a deaf man heard not, and I was a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. Now, I spent a little bit of my adult life as a professional educator, and I have learned you can teach some people, almost everybody you can teach something if they're willing to learn. But there's, nope, 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 I can't learn this, I can't learn this. I had a guy who was tutoring when we were down in Shreveport. And we were in a basic math class, they put us in. And he said, I, I, did, I can't learn math, I don't know math, I don't want to learn math, that's the problem. And I said, well, let's, let's talk about this. He just threw his book down, I can't learn that. Not with that attitude, you can't. Sometimes we cut off the nose to spike the face, you know. 
If you turn a deaf ear to God, that's the most foolish thing we can do. God, personified as wisdom, talks like that in Proverbs chapter 1. You foolish ones, wisdom calls out. I have talked to you, I have played with you, but you don't want to hear it. You know what? You read the end of that chapter, he says, I will laugh when it comes down on your head. You asked for it. Years ago, there was a TV show. You asked for it. And what they did, they, people asked questions. What would happen if, or well, who's ever done? And they would send their film crews out all over the world, and they'd come back and they'd put it on this TV show. But that's not what this is talking about. If you ask for it, don't be surprised if God comes back and he clobbers you. It's interesting, too, that David cried to the only one who could and would eventually save him. That comes out here in this psalm. And just a couple other places in Scripture. I want you to see, for example, in the Psalms, go back to Psalm 20. There is one who's better than any and all else. We should focus on him. What would the Lord have me to learn about this? You know, some people say, I wonder what so-and-so would say about this. I wonder what so-and-so would do about this. We should ask ourselves, how would the Lord have me to approach this situation? Psalm 20. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. We will rejoice in thy salvation. If somebody says, what a lovely day. So what's good about it? You can rejoice in your salvation. I don't care what the weather looks like. I don't care what the economy looks like. I don't care what all kinds of bad news we hear on the radio. If you're saved, you have everything to be grateful for. We will rejoice in thy salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Basically, we say, God's in charge. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. And if you ever forget that, just go back and read that. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. To you, this looks like my left, but it's really my right. See? See? It's my right. It's still my right. The Lord uses his right hand to show some trust in chariots. And I got a lot of horses out of my hood. Some trust in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Your resources may not be much. My resources might not be much. But God's resources are infinite. Right? And our God hears our concerns. Back up to Psalm 17. You know, sometimes the best commentary for me of the Psalms are other Psalms. Because it's in there. Psalm 17, verse 6. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. You see, some people talk to others and they say, look, I got a problem. Would you listen? Yeah, sure, I'll listen. Sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other. 
Or sometimes they just can't wait to have a juicy piece of gossip. And sometimes it's like the guy that goes into the bar. Hey, Joe. I got some troubles. Joe puts down the drink and takes your money and he listens. And you get through. You know, Joe's, you think Joe's going to say, now the Bible says, I don't think so. Joe's going, yeah, life's rough all over. See you next week. I don't really think Joe cares too much, except he doesn't want to lose a customer unnecessarily. And you don't want to be like that guy. You want to be the person who bears. There's a paradox in the book of Galatians. It says, bear ye one another's burdens. And yet it also says, each man shall bear his own burden. That's a challenge. Is something else to think about. I have called upon thee, O, uh, unto thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me and hear my speech. Somebody else might not really be listening, but God is always listening. And so often the help of man is a vain thing. Go ahead a little bit to Psalm 60, verses 11 and 12. Get us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. We're 98-pound weaklings compared to God. We're blithering idiots compared to God. We are in poverty compared to God. Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Henry Mann was preaching once and I'll borrow one of his illustrations. He talked about the man who is like the bird. And the bird is perched in a big tree. And there's a storm brewing. And suddenly the bird flies out of the tree and he gets a little ways away. And a bolt of lightning comes down and cracks that tree. So splits in two. The bird looks back. Look what I did. Look what I did. That's us sometimes. Look how I pulled that off. Or I sure was lucky. People say foolish things sometimes. Many times because they don't know any better. No, it's the Lord who did this. It's the Lord who has spared me. It's the Lord who has prepared me. When someone gives you a compliment, the best thing to do is to deflect the praise. The Lord is the one who gave me this insight. Blessed be the Lord. That never gets old if we're of a spiritual mind. But to help a man so often is a vain thing. Zip ahead to the longest song with me, please. Psalm 119. <clears throat> Psalm 119. Look at verse. I told you it's a long one. Verse 81. My soul fainteth for thy salvation. That's what we need. That's what we should want. That should be our priority. It's not the affairs of this world because we're going to leave this world. And all of the stuff 
Though we might work so hard to accumulate and keep it nice and bright and shining and happy or whatever, my soul fadeth to thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Does that speak to you? I hope it does. Because if you haven't, or if you're not right now in a situation where say, my, my heart pants. I'm in a tight. I don't want to live. You're going to knock on wood? You're going to cross your fingers? You're going to count your lucky stars? Are you going to look to the Lord? Our desire should be to look to the Lord. That was uh, Psalm 38, wasn't it? 